Ladies and gentlemen, if you like the Smug Film Podcast, do yourself a favor and head over to patreon.com slash smugfilm, where we've got a bunch of great rewards if you donate to the show. For just $1 a month, you'll get a bonus mini episode of the show every Monday in your inbox, as well as access to all past mini episodes. These episodes will never be available on iTunes or smugfilm.com or anywhere else. The only way to hear them is by donating $1 a month through patreon.com slash smugfilm. For $5 a month, you'll get the bonus episodes, plus we'll do a 30-second plug of whatever you want on one episode a month. Whether you want us to plug your website, your movie, your small business, your Twitter handle, whatever it is, we'll plug it. For $10 a month, you get the bonus episodes, plus we'll do a 30-second plug of whatever you want on every single episode of the show. That's four episodes a month. It's an incredible deal. So once again, that URL is patreon.com slash smugfilm. Head on over there today, and we look forward to your kind donation. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is Mark Cavino. Hey, everybody. And his mystery guest that he always brings. He's always bringing a mystery guest whenever he comes through Smug Film Studios. John Paynes. Hi. 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 I'm just meeting John for the first time today. Yeah. Yeah. John is a he's a filmmaker. That's right. And uh, we have an interesting connection. I haven't actually seen his work. I'm sure he hasn't seen my work. He did a film quite recently called Stuck. That's right. All right. Yeah. Not to be confused with the Stuart Gordon modern day classic, if I do say so myself, <laughs> entitled Stuck from, uh, I guess, 2007, 2006. Love that movie. Not to be confused with that one. That's right. I myself directed a film, wrote, starred, much like this man. <laughs> uh, it was called Shredder. There was a film in 2003. A, uh, a slopes slasher, you know, skiing and whatnot and cabins. I've actually seen no that. I, I watched that at the rap party for my film. I I made a film, Shredder. I'm so sorry. And uh, there was a previous film called Shredder. So we have a connection there. It's great. It's more than I have with this guy. So. That's right. Yeah, this is, this is That's my right. <laughs> so fellow writer, director, actors yeah. who made films that another film before us used the title of because it's like fuck it it's like if the title is perfect the title is perfect you can't copyright the title <clears throat> that's the, my next movie is actually it's the titanic it's not, it's not. <laughs> you should do it didn't they do that sequel to titanic a couple of years ago on the it was like one of those netflix oh, the, like the made for television yeah movie? it was called titanic <laughs> 2 I remember Raise the Titanic. Did you ever see that? I don't think I saw that. It came out in the 70s. It probably had Ernest Borgnine in it because he was in all those disaster movies. Yeah. He probably isn't in it. It wasn't (laughs) Titanic versus a shark octopus. No, No, it actually had the the dignity to just call itself Titanic 2. Oh. And uh, it came out like right when there was like a Moby Dick 2. And I remember I had them right next to each other on my Netflix queue. It was Titanic 2. And it was, it was, maybe it was Moby Dick like 2010 or something. It had a title (laughs) like that. But they, they both went up on Netflix about the same time. Similar thing with each. And uh, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. (laughs) But uh, no, keep point, going. another interesting thing about about John Payne's, he is a proud owner of a name, which is a sentence. You're in the sentence name club. John Payne's like Tom Waits oh, yeah. and uh, other ones that I'm not remembering. But that's a that's an exclusive club. And I'm the only John Payne's on the Internet. 
That's awesome. That's incredible. That's, yeah. That is, that is beautiful. Yeah. So you have a monopoly on it. I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, so far. I have a- if, if you're listening and your name is John Paynes, <laughs> leave us a voicemail or something and uh, get in contact with this other one. I did a podcast recently with a fellow by the name of Cody Clark, who, <laughs> unbeknownst to me, is a film critic and a podcaster. I did not That's know a- this. Strange coincidence. Yeah, you can it's, go back a couple episodes ago. He ha- he doesn't have the E on the last name. He's just C-L-A-R-K. Oh, all right. You know. The real way to spell it is with an E, I think. I think so. Yeah. You, yeah, need that that, yeah. you need that E. <laughs> I actually hate my name. You hate your name, Covino? Uh, uh, I don't which, like... Which part do you hate? The Mark or the Covino? Both. Uh, really? To, to me, it just doesn't scream film director, which is why when I was growing up... <laughs> I mean, I, What does scream <laughs> film director? John Paynes. John Paynes. <laughs> you know, Covino sounds like a 70s muscle car, man. I mean, yeah, you know. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like an artist to me. I don't know why. And and that's why when I was... Well, well who said you were an artist? <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> aspiring true, to. <laughs> but I'm yeah, getting there. So you, throw these terms you around, don't like but. your name. You've told me before you don't like your voice. I think you have a very radio voice, especially oh, on you. my microphones. Well, you, believe it or not, when I was growing up, my mom sent me to CCD class, which is like a religious thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sorry. I'm so bad with religion because I'm an atheist now. <laughs> but um, in CCD... In what catech- does CCD it, stand like, for? Uh, catechism? I don't know. Some, some kind of Christian thing. I, yeah. <laughs> sorry, Christians. Um, but uh, when you get your confirmation or something, when you're like a preteen, you get to pick your middle name or something. Right, yeah. And I knew at the age of nine I wanted to be a filmmaker, so... I put a lot of thought into what my middle name was going to be because that was going to be that was going to f- fill out my entire director name. Yeah, that's your DGA. It's going to be Mark yeah. something Covino. Yeah, roll of the tongue, and I picked Christopher. <laughs> I thought Mark Christopher and Covino. The, and that's why on my on my IMDb page, that's what it says, even though my name's not like that on the movies that I make. Right. On. It's funny that they do that, and and how you know serial killers are always mentioned with their middle names Ma- right? mass shooters actually or mass shooters, mass shooters. Is it mass just I'm, I'm not a mass shooter i'm a serial killer by the way <laughs> still early so. yeah but uh yeah you have you also got like paul ws anderson Ugh. and you got uh, maybe the middle name was a bad idea yeah <laughs> no but i mean a lot of times people have to pick have to use their middle initials or middle name because of no that's uh, true Other, stupid sag or director's guild or right. whatever only, I, I found another mark covino but he's a doctor so i think i'm okay right on that but there's two Terrence Winters. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there's, you know, the Academy Award winning mm-hmm. Terrence Winters. And then mm-hmm. there's an, another guy who uh, writes for Castle, the television show Castle. And I can't remember his middle name, but I, I saw that the other day. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, there's two mm-hmm. uh, There's two Adam Greens. There's Adam Green who made the Hatchet movies. Yeah. And there's mm-hmm. Adam Green, the, you know, hipster uh, musician oh, of yeah. the, uh, <laughs> the 2000, 2001 sort of era of anti-folk whatnot. Do you like you know. Adam Green, the filmmaker, at all? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't, do I. <laughs> I haven't gotten far into Hatchet One, and now there's, there's two like, more of them. Ha- there's two more of them. Yeah. I'm he way did behind. Both of them? He did all of them. He did I think. all. I mean, all, uh, all three. Yeah. The sequels. No okay. To my knowledge, yeah. Um, I mean, as a horror fan, I watched a couple episodes of Holliston, which is his television series where he's got D. Snyder, and he had um, what's the guy's name from Guar that's not with us anymore. Um, uh, I forget but, now. But he's, yeah, yeah. he was yeah. in it and it was cute. It had a lot of, 
you know, it was Odorous Ungerous was his, uh, yeah, yeah, was his Guar name. <laughs> I don't, I don't name. know his given name. <laughs> Are you in the Guar, uh, John Payne's? <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I never, I never saw the guys. Uh, no, and, 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 and it was a, it was a thing, you know, a big thing when I was in college. That, yeah, that, that was the show and, to go. Yeah, to go yeah. See. I wish happened. I had. I wish I had. I haven't been to one, but I've had friends that have gone to them, and they just say it's kind of stinky and. and yeah, <laughs> I would imagine it doesn't smell nice in there. It's no, slightly lower than a. Uh, <laughs> Um, oh, the German uh, band. Oh, uh, the, 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 I was going to say. Do Host, their song. Uh, is uh, Rammstein. Rammstein. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they do. Their, their shows are, yeah. are unbelievably uh, li- liquidy. <laughs> <laughs> well, David Lynch, Rammstein fan. He used, yeah, he used he Rammstein in Lost Highway. Which has a great soundtrack it's, produced yeah. by uh, Trent Reznor, actually. He's yeah. always got great metal in his in his movies. He's, yeah. he's, he used Power Mad in, uh, in Wild at Heart. Wild yeah. That was a choice cut. Yeah, yeah. He used one of the best Rammstein tracks for Lost Highway. Dude. David Lynch, secret great <laughs> metal fan. <laughs> Two tracks, actually, in, uh, in Lost Highway. Two tracks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Was, um, do, you, do you see Ghost? Is it Ghosts of Mars? Carpenter? Carpenter yes. film, yes. So I have it actually, right up on that shelf. Believe it or not, that's the only Carpenter film I haven't seen. Oh, it's it's, really? it's pretty good. I've heard, it is good. <laughs> I've heard it grows on you. Like, when it came out of theaters, everybody was shitting on it. And so I was yeah. like, yeah. I love Carpenter, but I don't want to see a bad Carpenter film. It's got Pam Greer riding a hang glider on Mars. Okay, yeah, I gotta see you it. You should just watch it. <laughs> but it, it, I saw a, um, a preview of it. I think it was um, the DGA and the city, they have a, a you know, a theater. And uh, and he was there and he did a talk and oh, and one of awesome. the guys that they had on his uh, for the soundtrack was Buckethead. Oh, nice. he said he loved working with him. I mean, and he wore the thing. He was just, just like you know, right on. Well, I, I heard thing. it's got a great metal score. It does. It's great. I, mean, I love his music. I, I love Carpenter's music. I mean, it's, it's yeah. as simple as it you know it might be, but it's oh, effective. I love it. yeah, it's effective. It's, it's really it's very sure. effective. And he just didn't he have a rare or, or yeah. he, in Iceland. Yeah, they, they did a. a he, he did uh, a concert. Yeah, oh, that's incredible. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I mean, yeah, it's not really making you, the films. That you got to get on your Ghosts of Mars. I, I know, do- I know. When I get back home, that'll be part of my. I'm part of a horror film watching club. So yeah, that'll be one of the films I watch for the month of October. I have to watch one every night. So go for it. <laughs> it's more of like an actiony sci-fi thing. Yeah. but mm-hmm. you know, I I, I would. That's- Light Ice Cube's in it, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> Jason Statham. In a side character role because it's pre-Jason Statham right. movie star Jason Statham. It's just that's Jason true. Statham as just a guy who's like holding a gun and looks tough. Yeah, that was like right at the beginning of Jason Statham madness, wasn't it? Yeah. It was 2000, I think. Yeah, right before, I guess. That was after Lockstock or? Yeah. Mm. Yes. Oh, yeah. Was that? But before okay. Crank, so. Okay. Yeah. Oh, God, I love mm. Crank. <laughs> so why are you in town, by the way? <laughs> um... Why am I in town, John? <laughs> Do you know? That's why I brought I, you I here. I honestly have no oh, idea. Oh, no, I remember now. Uh, I'm actually, it's kind of weird. I'm I'm in town because a sister that I never knew existed that I oh, right. met yes. for the very first time this past August is in New York visiting uh, for her 25th wedding anniversary. And I live in Vermont, which is only like a six hour drive away, I think. And I figured, well, what the fuck? I might as well come down and see her again. I mean, yeah. she's in New York. I... I was born in New York. I grew up in Long Island, but I know New York a little bit better than she does. She's always dreamt of traveling around New York. So I figured, let me just travel with her one of these days. Yeah. She's going to be up here. So I'm going to see her tomorrow. We Uh, should recap that a little bit. Sure. Because... um, The story. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, let's... uh, Sure. Because I've... 
you know, we are, we are buddies. Well, exactly. I, I know the story. I don't know. The world doesn't know the story. The world, the world that is listening uh, currently. Did I ever tell you this? You, yeah, I've been uh, um, Hell's Half Mile. You told yeah, ba- I mean, basically what happened was, um, I mean, I would have to start with high school when I ran away from home. Right, which we, we got into on your last episode. Did we get into that? Okay, yeah, should for, I get into that again? Or? Well, for yeah. those of you who, who want to hear the full super-duper version of that story, um, go back and listen to Mark's first episode. We, he goes into that pretty deeply. But uh, yeah, so, let's so, hear. So yeah, I mean, I eventually, like in high school, my mom went a little nutty. I ran away from home, and I didn't see her for two years. And then all of a sudden, she was back in my life, and it was weird to me until I realized she was back in my life because she was dying of cancer. And she just wanted to reconnect. Um, she wanted me to become her son again. And it took me a couple of years uh, when she got back in touch with me uh, to find love for her again. Because, I mean, she tried to kill me. <laughs> she kind of went a little fucking crazy right. when I was in high school. And um, I remember it was uh, one of the last visits to Vermont, because I was living in Vermont at the time, um, that she came up to visit me. It was the year that she died, actually, 2004. Uh, she took me to a diner uh, in Vermont. We had a nice leisurely lunch. And then afterwards... She very calmly said, I have something to tell you. I took that as this is going to be something about the cancer or, or you know, she's going to drop a bomb on me and say, I'm going to be dead tomorrow or something. Right. Instead, she's like, you don't know this, but in 1964, I got married to Henry Gibson, not the actor, by the way, uh, Henry Gibson, who is this guy that I knew that she dated, but she married him in Mexico. So it wasn't a legal marriage. Uh, they moved to San Diego and she got pregnant. And she was very young at the time and they couldn't afford to raise a child. So she gave it up for adoption because that was the reasonable thing to do. That's what she told me. And I was in shock, as you could imagine, because I grew up an only child with just one parent, which was my mother. Um, It was like our lives were like in sync. And she was the only person I knew in my family, really. I mean, I kind of knew my dad, but I only saw him on holidays. So my mom died uh, that Christmas. And this was in the summertime, she told me, um, or not Christmas, but December 14th, 2004. And I was a wreck for a year. I quit college. I barely showed up to work. I, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't talk to my wife. didn't talk to my friends. I was kind of a shutout, actually uh, agoraphobic, which we can get into with John's film later. I was afraid to just see the world and, and I wanted to die. And it was just very depressing. And I started to cope with it and learn the process of dealing with death you know, somebody close to you. And, and I started thinking about how it felt like I had this missing void in my life, this, this piece. And it was obviously my mom, I thought, you know, but there was something that felt like it was out there. I don't believe in spirits or ghosts or anything, but a lot of people would say, oh, you're feeling your spirit of your mom or something. Maybe I was if they exist. But I think what I was really feeling was this sister that was out there. I, I felt like she must be still alive. My mom told me this for a reason. She wanted me to go seek her out. And shortly after that, I became a documentary filmmaker. And I thought, what better way to, to go on this journey to go find her than to document the whole thing and make it into a film? And I, I think I put a post on Facebook back then. And and, and I was like, uh, <laughs> fucking do it. Well, this is before that, actually. Yeah. This is just before that post, because I put another post yeah. later on. So this was like an early, early post. Mm-hmm. We're talking like, geez, maybe 2006, seven, And overwhelming amount of uh, messages from people, a lot of support, a lot of private messages of people who were adopted saying, I don't know if you should do this, it's bad, you know, could turn out bad and blah, blah, blah. I'm worried for both of you. And, uh, and so I, I kind of just didn't do it because I was afraid. And I, I've been dealing with fear my whole life. I mean, it's part of the reason why I was never able to finish a lot of things up until a band called Death. And 
many years passed <laughs> and I had this in the back of my head that I wanted to do this. Fast forward to last year, which is post that you saw, I think. Right. Yeah. Uh, last year I was digging through the basement, which is kind of like the, uh, the ending of Raiders of the Lost Ark in terms of storage. It's mm-hmm. just boxes and boxes of my mom's shit. Yeah. She was the best archiver ever. And I think that's where I get a lot of my archiving for, uh, skills from. Yeah, I mean, to make a documentary, you got to be an archiver on some level. I just level. keep everything. Yeah. I, like history to me is super important, even personal history. Mm. Um, and so I started digging through and, and I call it the Patty Vortex. I go into the basement. I started digging through this shit. It's rough on me. I'll be down there for a day, maybe two by myself. I'll be crying. I'll mm. be hyperventilating. Again, like almost like agoraphobic, like I get into that mood again where I don't want to leave. I don't want to see my wife. I'm just like, everybody hates me and my life sucks. I start feeling that way for some reason. It's so weird. I found this letter last year that was a letter my mom wrote to the adoption agencies she gave the child up for adoption at in San Diego. In 1993, she wrote this letter. Mm. So this is many years after she gave the child up for adoption. And she's pleading with them to let her know the name of her daughter and where her daughter is located because she was forced to give the child up for adoption because the man she was with threatened to leave her if she kept the child. Mm. And she was afraid of raising a child on her own. Jesus Christ. So, you know, immediately I was like, holy shit, I got to do this. And so I put that post on Facebook and I think you saw it. And mm-hmm. I, again, an overwhelming amount of support, a lot of personal messages saying, I don't know if you should do this. I don't know if you should document it. You know, you should just do it on your own. Don't yeah. film it. Well, my oh, take was, you know, document it as if you're going to do it mm-hmm. and then decide at a later date if it's something you want to do. Which, which is the best advice because that's exactly what I'm doing. And so that happened last year, right? Right. I didn't do shit for an entire year because I was fucking afraid again because <laughs> yeah. I knew that the first step would be to contact Henry, who I wasn't sure was still alive. I hadn't talked to the guy since 1998 when I was in television production class. I interviewed him because he was actually, believe it or not, a a co-writer on the Pope of Greenwich Village. Wow. I have no idea oh, how, how that connection <laughs> happened unless I can find the tapes that from the interview I did. Right. Because I don't remember any of that shit. But um, I knew he was a rocket scientist. I knew he was like a nerdy guy. But I also knew that my dad hated him. He, he always attributed Henry to being the reason my mom hated men because mm. he used to take her to sex parties and shit. <sighs> um, but I never saw him as that guy. He was always like a nice, quiet, nerdy guy. <laughs> he lives in Manhattan. So for a year, I just didn't do it because I was fucking afraid. I was like, what if I contact him if he's dead or if I contact him and he's angry at me or if I contact him and he doesn't want to talk to me? I, I don't know. Uh, I let fear get in the way, which is a, a big issue with me. And, and uh, I didn't do anything until this past May, I think it was. Maybe it was March. I get the ends confused. But uh, I just had a tree cut down in my yard and I'm outside fucking splitting wood like a mountain man in Vermont. Like, <laughs> that's what you do. And a fucking FedEx truck backs into my driveway and comes up to me with an envelope. I figured in this envelope was going to be a CD that I sent out to get uh, de-scratched. It was a CD of <laughs> death playing live this one song that I like. Mm. And it was all scratched up because uh, over the years of making a band called Death, things just got fucked up in my house. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I realized that it was bending, that there was no disc inside. And so I opened it up and I slowly pull it out because I'm just curious who would send me a FedEx from San Diego, a letter. Um and the first sentence kind of grabbed me, something to the effect of, uh, I, I wasn't sure what the right way to contact you was, but I figured a letter was most comfortable for me. And I was instantly captivated. Mm. And I started reading the letter. It was a two-page letter. And as I went down, it said, I'm your sister. I found out about you through Henry. And I found Henry through Ancestry.com. Um, I live in San Diego. This is my family. She had a picture in there. 
Wow. And oh my God, dude, it was uh, it was a pretty emotional experience for me. It was as if every emotion I've ever felt just hit me all at once. And I went in, I showed my wife the letter because I was just so happy. You know, it was everything that I've wanted, yeah. it, you know, to happen. She seemed like she wanted to reconnect with me, which really made me happy because I was worried she wouldn't want to see me or you never know with adopted people. Right. Sometimes it's like, I'm not your sister anymore. And, uh, and that night I, uh, I spent a couple of days uh, writing a letter back to her, which ended up turning out to be a 15 page letter. I don't know if I ever sent you that, Cody, or not. I don't think you did. Did I? I'll, I'll send yeah. you. I'll send yeah, you I'd again. Love to read it. Yeah. I love the letter. I could send it to you too, John. It's, sure. it's, I love it because it's a story about my mom's life and my life, and it ends with the release of a band called Death. Mm. And it, it's a lot of tragedy, a lot of shitty situations, and it ends on a happy note. It's just, and I wrote this thing for a couple of days, and it was like, I was an out of body experience. I didn't feel anything writing. It just, my fingers were moving. Right. And it ended on Sunday. I pressed period on the last word and that was mother's day. Mm. And as soon as I pressed period on that sentence, I, the best I can uh, come up with an analogy is it was as if I was in the movie, uh, <laughs> you know, laugh at this, a uh, Highlander. Um, and everything was rushing out of my body. I, uh. Every emotion, like <laughs> happiness, sadness. And I just started bawling nonstop. I couldn't stop crying for like 24 hours and I was hyperventilating and it wasn't bad though. It felt right. good. It was a release. And uh, my DP luckily was up in Vermont when I finished the letter and she started filming me and got some of this stuff. And I filmed myself as well on my iPhone because I've sold all my equipment since a band called death because movies don't pay shit. <laughs> yeah. But um, I got an email back from her after I sent my letter and I was worried about my letter because I thought it might have been too heavy for her. And she wrote me back and said, that was a lot to take in, but just know that I love you and I'm, I'm working on a letter to write back to you. And she never did end up getting to the letter to write back to me because she was going to tell me about her whole life. We mm-hmm. just started emailing nonstop right. to the point where um, I was going to teach a class in Wichita, Kansas for the Tallgrass Film Festival. And I convinced them to fly me out to San Diego instead of fly me back home. And then I would just pay a one-way flight to Vermont from mm-hmm. San Diego. And so I got to see her. And it was fucking beautiful. Yeah, I saw those pictures. That was incredible. It was uh, one of the happiest moments of my life, I got to say. And what was it seeing her for the first time? (sighs) Well, I I, got to say, uh, while this is happening, I'm making a documentary about these two cousins meeting for the first time. Right. Right. (laughs) And I felt like one of them probably because I had somebody come and film our first meeting. Mm -hmm. and it, It was very awkward because I'm trying to just be real and be natural. And I was, but also there's this camera on me and I'm... I'm conscious of it because I'm a filmmaker and I'm trying to separate the filmmaker from, and I, I told him, I just, I said, just film everything. You know, I'm not going to pay attention to you. I'm just going to talk to her. And that's what I did. I went Mm -hmm. in and we sat down and immediately started talking. I found out we had all these same things. Like she has ADD like me, you know, other things like her son's feet are the same size as mine. I mean, (laughs) you know, her son's hands look just like mine. It's so weird. Like her son looks just like Henry Gibson, which is very odd. And she looks... The actor or... or Not the actor. (laughs) I wish the actor. Um, And she looks so much like my mom. And my mom was a model um, when she was uh, young. And um, man, it's just, it was a pretty uh, cathartic moment, I got to say. And I didn't cry once, but she cried two times while I was out there. And I, I kept... I was angry with myself when I was coming home on the plane. I was like, why didn't I cry? Like mm. I, I should have, I've been crying nonstop up until this moment. And I realized I didn't cry because she was crying because she felt sorry for our mother. And I was so happy that she cared that much about our mother mm. because I love my mom a lot as much 
is she did some bad things, made some mistakes, and I've probably made mistakes too in the past, but um, I really, I, I, I love her a lot and I, it meant a lot to me that she loved her too. And, and we call her our mom, we call each other brother and sister. And it's, uh, sorry to get all deep on you guys. We can start talking about that's beautiful, oh, man. That was great. <laughs> Please, this is gold. Yeah, this um, is. I'm gonna win the podcast yeah, award that, for that, this episode. Uh, do they have podcast awards? I hope so. <laughs> of course, <laughs> let's start them. <laughs> you got an award yeah. for everything. Um, so that, so yeah, I'm gonna get to see her for a second time. I, I spent a, I spent a week with her out in San Diego. Right now, I'm gonna get to see her for tomorrow all day. Oh, that's fantastic. We're gonna do New York shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> take nice. her, take her to John's Pizzeria in Times Square. I'm taking her to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Taking her husband. Her husband really wants to see the bull on Wall Street. Wall Street. So um, I don't understand the draw. Of that I, yeah. I, mean, I don't get like, the bull. That's I, five minutes, ten minutes see, out of I, the day. I grew up near Smithtown, where there's a bull in there, and it has a giant dick. And the thing about that bull is everyone bets each other to go lick the balls sure. of that bull. <laughs> but I don't know about the bull in New York. I don't know what the draw is. I don't think that. there are balls on it. If I, I remember. I, I, like neuter that are. I mean, I used to live down there and the <laughs> crowds are insane. I don't yeah. get it. I really don't. It's especially a Especially it's, it's Wall Street. <laughs> it's just, yeah, yeah they, they pretty much ruined the country for <laughs> yeah. a couple of years, but let's go down and, you know, pray. At the I mean, I, are you allowed to sit on the bowl or is that illegal? No. Uh, no. Is yeah, it, no, what, they don't. It, what if I sit on it? Will they arrest me? Will There's they, tons it, of oh, cops oh, down there. Okay, It'd probably be it. hard to get up there, yeah. Okay. I'm always trying to do bad things. It'd be great for the documentary, let's put it that way, but might not be great for... Yeah, I don't know tomorrow I, i'm gonna take some pictures oh so tomorrow the other cool thing i'm sorry to go keep going on about this one of my mom's best best friends so good that you know my mom had a lot of great friends that were kind of family because once they got to know or know my mom and understand why she was the way she was they fell in love because my mom was a really kind heart she gave to so many charities mm. she was always there to help a friend out but she also turned off a lot of people because she get very angry at the littlest things or get very bitchy. And she was, she was a very uh, dictator. She was like a director almost. But um, the, what's great about tomorrow is um, my mom's best friend, Pat, who I haven't talked to since my mom died. Pat was the one that told me my mom was going to be dead in three weeks. Mm. So she's a very important person to me because she was there with me while my mom was dying and supporting me, helping me get through it. Pat's coming down from upstate New York and I'm going to see Pat for the first time since my mom died and my sister's going to see her for the very first time. And it's, wow. I think that's going to be pretty uh, amazing. Well, I'm going to get some pictures, but I don't know. I, I might film some stuff on my iPhone. I don't know. It, it gets hard with these kind of things because um, I almost wish I had a cameraman always following me around, but <laughs> you know, we're broke filmmakers and it's like, we're the only cameraman. So. Yeah, man. Um, I want to kind of just like live in the moment. So I'll, I'll probably just take a lot of pictures and right on you need a gopro and then a gopro yeah. just put it Stick on, my it on head. your head yeah, yeah. <laughs> just gopros all around my head so i get the whole thing <laughs> oh, yeah but yeah but that's 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 wonderful and i'm glad you're you're able to spend some new york city time with her for sure yeah yeah it's, i mean you know i'm sure i don't want to get into your story but i I'm, <laughs> i know that you relate a lot to the stuff i go through yeah. i'm still dealing with my mom and it, it's rough as, as am i because yeah. it's, you know, I really love the woman. I I am the person I am today, you know, good or bad, because of her. And so, Me too. I'm yeah. going to try to stop because I'm going to start here. crying here. <laughs> oh, motherfucker. We're, we're both going to start crying. Can we talk we're, about porn? going to start hugging. Yeah. <laughs> Well, What's I mean, your favorite porn, John? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. But. No. no I, I'm, Do you like any classics? Well, this <laughs> is, you know, I, I, it is something we, me and Mark go back and forth with a lot is that 
porn is this kind of neglected genre. Yeah. You know, it's a genre just like horror, just like action, just like anything else. It's just a way, a type of movie that you're making. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been so influential and yet it, it gets so overlooked. And to me, especially the films from Deep Throat on through to maybe Up and Coming, I think was the, like, those are like some of the most important for, between that period. The yeah. golden age, I guess you can call I'm sorry to start talking about porn. <laughs> no, man, I don't know I, if you I, want to talk about this shit or not. You know, the, I had a class. I, I went to SVA and, and the, in the freshman year, they um, they put you in the same group of, of students for the whole year. So you, you get to know all of those people for the year. And I guess it's a way to get people to be friends and, and, and all that. One of the classes that we had, and I, for the life of me, I can't remember what it's called. But one of the things that they wanted us to do was pick one of three movies and, that, and, and to make a, like sequential artwork based on the movie and deep, mm. deep throat was was one of them i wrote my thesis paper on deep throat oh, for <laughs> surprising everybody i know and, and so, so there was one uh video store in the whole city that had a copy of it and it was on eighth street and we ended up finding it and stealing the copy <laughs> and so uh, a bunch of us had to had to make a you know a sequential image and i ended up not doing that because they the two of my friends ended up doing it but i ended up doing a the assassination of JFK and from some something I don't even remember mm-hmm. what the hell it was, but it was I mean it was just very you know, what, funny watching one, that movie. One thing about Deep Throat, maybe you can help me out with this, Cody. Uh, <laughs> I, I used to own. That. I'm sorry, uh, Deep Throat to me is just one of the most amazing films ever. I, I'm obsessed with it. I have tons yeah. of artwork. Didn't for Harry Reams die a couple of years he ago? He did. Yeah. Everybody's dead. I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> Gerard Damiano is dead. Uh, oh uh, uh, Marilyn Chamber, not Marilyn Chambers, Linda Lovelace died, and. Yeah. Uh, uh, God, what was it? Did you see Lovelace? I did. I love Lovelace. I, I didn't get to the ending because I saw it at a festival and I had to go to a Q&A for my film, A Band Called Death. I saw it at the Traverse City Film Festival and I met the filmmakers and they were super nice. The thing with uh, Lovelace, I, I was talking to them before I even saw the movie. I said, I really hope you guys captured who, who Linda really was, which was a, just a confused woman who said yes to anybody. Mm-hmm. She said yes to the feminists. She said yes to the porn guys. And you can't really take everything she says, you know, as truth. Uh, she, right. she wrote a People, couple of books attacking the porn industry yeah. and a lot of it was lies. I think a lot of it was truth. I think a, a lot of the truth lied with uh, her guy that she was with, uh, Chuck Trainer, mm. who beat her and raped her. Right. right. But the filmmakers of Dethro, especially Gerard Damiamo, I mean, he just wanted to make art. He, yeah. He was not in the business to hurt people. And there's no doubt, I mean, uh, when Deep Throat was made, it was produced by the mafia as, yeah. as were well, a lot of films. That's a good point too, is that a lot of money pro- coming in. It was produced by the same people that produced uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and stuff. You yeah. know? Uh, so, I mean, a, a lot of these indie films back then yeah. had their fingers in some dirty money. But, you know, Deep Throat's an important film. It was the first time that an actor was tried and convicted for acting in a film, Harry Reams. Yeah. And it's, it's I mean, I... I highly suggest people see uh, Inside uh, Deep Throat. I think it's a great doc. Yeah, it's pretty comprehensive. Um, pretty comprehensive. I saw it with a filmmaker once who shit on it. She's like, <laughs> oh, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I think she just didn't like how it was just a standard doc. <laughs> right. I think she wanted something unique. She was a very avant, you know. Guard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of filmmaker. But um, I think it's very comprehensive. It tells you the whole story and it doesn't doesn't make Linda out to be the victim as much mm. um, as the books that she wrote and the films that are made about her. 
But uh, the, the one thing I want to say about Deep Throat that's driving me crazy is I owned a VHS copy of it back in the day. I don't have it anymore. But it had the original soundtrack. And one of the great things about Deep Throat is it had this great original soundtrack. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have... I the, know it by heart. Exactly. It's <laughs> such great music. And yeah. it's part of the fun of watching Deep Throat. Is it's, I'll, it's, I'll send you my copy, it's, man. It's, I, I, no, I, I, I still oh, have Oh, do you have that. the VHS? Oh, I still got it. Send me the VHS, that, please. That, uh, video so store, here's, man. here's what's sad is that the people that made the music to Deep Throat uh, were anonymous. Yep. And they never is, had to do with the FBI and all this shit. That's a lot of them. That's like taboo it's, as well. Exactly. Yeah. So nobody knows who made this fucking music. And it's <laughs> such great music. And it's on vinyl. Thank God. I have the vinyl, of mm -hmm. course. I have it on CD. I've got, I've got the music. Here's the thing that sucks is the DVD, when it was put on DVD, they completely took out the music and put in oh, new oh shitty porn music. Oh, no. And that's the thing. Deep Throat isn't porn music. It was, no. They, they, there's one it song. Pop it's, songs. There's one song. It's a parody of a Coke song. <laughs> I want awesome. the world to drink or something and I want the world to come. I think they yeah. changed it to or something like that. Um, I'm totally getting the wrong, but it's along those lines. Yeah. It's such a great soundtrack. And I was so bummed when I got the DVD and I played it and they took out all the great music. Mm. So, yeah, I would love the VHS yeah, if yeah, I could I'll, get a copy. Yeah, I'll send it to you. There was a great uh, episode of uh, Adam Carolla's podcast where somebody called in who played guitar on one of the songs, the main song on Taboo 2. Oh, my God. The main theme. Like, he, he's like his dad yeah. played guitar on it, and he called in. And that's like, See, that's Adam Carolla's, like, favorite song ever is a song from Taboo 2. I, I got a theory <laughs> that the music in Deep Throat, I don't know. How did I get this? I have a feeling that it was composed by the guys in Sly and the Family Stone oh, because yeah. <laughs> there's one Sly and the Family Stone song that has the same keyboard playing as the theme song to Deep Throat. Really? Like, doo -doo 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 -doo. <laughs> I swear to God, it's the same exact. I, yeah. I wish I could remember the name of the song. See, I love I love crackpot like uh, movie theories. Oh yeah, so well I, I'm I'm a nut with that film. I, that's I look a great deep one. In, yeah. I look deep into Deep Throats. <laughs> <laughs> We could stop talking about Deetho because I could go on for hours and hours. My, I wrote my whole thesis paper on it and everybody at the college was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I told him it's an important yeah. film. And then you went on to make a band called Death. went on Death to make a very <laughs> inspirational film. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Did you did you see a band called Death John? No, you got to send it. I get, I yeah. Oh my god, I'll send yeah, you it for free. It. It's not like I'm getting any fucking money from it. But, yeah. <laughs> but that's um, a, that's an interesting too. Is a thing too is that um, that was an incredibly successful film, a band called Death. As far as people seeing it is concerned, I I think everybody's pretty much familiar with it at this point. Yeah, you know, I just got a private message on our Facebook page from a guy in Syria, which blew my mind. He's like. I saw your document. It was very broken English. I mean, I like your joke that you were very broken English, but he's like, I saw your movie. I love this band so much. You know, I, you know, I'm an aspiring musician or whatever. Yeah. And like, to me, like, that's the reason we made the fucking movie. I mean, it wasn't ever to make money. What I expected was to get paid back for the time we put into it, but we just didn't do things right. I don't think yeah. it, it's all our fault. It's well, not, the thing too, it's not is anyone's fault I think the, really the purpose ultimately of that film was that they deserved an amount of success that just wasn't around at the time exactly. for them. And, that film was about it, restoring what was owed to them because that was music that that deserved success. Yeah, no, it's and, true. And that got that music out there. To me, it was uh, almost personal because I related so much to David Hackney. Right. Um, I just so much about him and his philosophies and except for the God stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just, I did always feel like David was on my shoulder making that film. And I, I told you about the guy in LA, didn't I? That came up to me. Um, Refresh me. Yeah. You know, like I'm... <sighs> As a filmmaker, at least for me at this point in my life, 
that was the first home I ever got bought and sold. And I always thought, you know, I'm going to get something for the time. I put in four years. Jeff put in four years. Jeff got a divorce. You know, right. we're both super broke and struggling. Um, still, I don't have an agent. He doesn't have an agent. It's not like the fucking, you know, the doors are open in a way, but not as much as I guess we were hoping yeah. to. Um, but uh, I always, I always just forget about all that shit. When I remember the first night that our movie showed in Los Angeles at the Los Angeles Film Festival, uh, you know, a huge crowd always comes up to you after your movie shows for the first time. Everyone wants to shake your hand, say, "Great job, great job." In the midst of this crowd of probably like I don't know a couple hundred people, because it was at one of those big theaters in L.A., this one little short, sweaty Filipino guy comes up to me, and and he's got a cell phone in one hand, and he grabs my hand with the other, and he like just stares me in the eyes, and he's like crying, mm. and he's like. I haven't talked to my father in five years, but because of your movie, I just called him. God damn. And like like that, is, that's man. the reason why I think I'd, I'd assume like why we make movies. Yeah. What more do you no, want? We want to affect people's feelings. Yeah. We want to make them feel things. And that's important. I think it doesn't matter if it's a horror film or a porno. You're making somebody's life better. In yeah. A way. I mean, um, that's, uh, it's really it. You know, it, it's a whole thing. If you change one person's life, then that, and that's all that matters good. to me. Yeah. If I get one person, my job is done. Mm-hmm. But I, I always, I think that that's something that happens after the film is made because I'm not, I wasn't thinking of that when I was making exactly. stuff. I was trying yeah. to entertain and I was like, you know, and if we find an audience, great. And then people came up to me and said, you know, I have a, an uncle who's, uh, you know, afraid to leave his house. And, uh, you know, I, I think he'd really enjoy it. And, and, mm. uh, you know, I, now I kind of understand what he's going through and all, but I never thought that was exactly happen until I started screening. Yeah. I, that was, that was the real, like, uh, the benefit of of the making of the film was the the was, screening was the audience for, uh, you know for, for me too I, yeah. I I had no idea that that was going to happen no it, it that's one of my favorite me. aspects of creating anything is yeah. that if that stuff was in your mind when you were creating it it wouldn't be the same as it was right in order for it to affect somebody as as it did yeah you know if that's if that's front and center on your mind it's like oh I'm going to change these people's lives and this that and the other then it gets perverted by that mm-hmm. and you can't create it from a pure place I guess I was always making a band called death for the band and for me yeah because it was therapy for me at least well that's yeah. what it feels like when you watch it it doesn't yeah. feel like uh it, it really I mean you see you don't have to name names because you'll get more in trouble for yeah, it than yeah. I will. <laughs> but you see documentaries that come out that are just so self-important. And right. so like, drive me crazy, we're doing right? a real noble thing here. And it, it just has this air of uh, arrogance and importance mm-hmm. throughout it. And it just disconnects you from material that maybe you would have really enjoyed had it been in, which, done in a more humble way. Which made me think that Evangel Death was going to be a complete failure because I wasn't that self-important making it. Neither was Jeff. Like It was always just about telling that story. Right. I, I think there's a difference between entertaining and trying to educate yeah. and in regards yeah. to documentaries. No, that's true. Yeah. And I, I think people who, who think that they're going to you know, change stuff or, or whatever or doing it for a specific reason. But the people on the back end are thinking this is going to speak to a lot of people and we're going to make a lot of money or, yeah. or what have you. I mean, the cove comes to mind, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think those guys yeah. went in because nobody fucking knew what was happening. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And that was know. a very important film, just like blackfish was very right. important. Right. And, uh, you know, there are these mm-hmm. and Paradise Lost, I think you could throw in sure. the same boat where it's these films that are, mm-hmm. it's like, all right, no, fuck this y'all need to know about this. I think that's a, that's a very important aspect too. But I think even all of those films, I would classify all of them as um, 
all very personal, even though they had a wide reaching. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like Paradise Lost, um, even down to like the use of Metallica in it, it yeah, felt yeah. so homegrown exactly. and honest. And I, that's one of my favorite aspects to it too, is like that uh, in Paradise Lost 2, that ending, end credits montage with mm. the Metallica song yeah. over it is so like, if you, you couldn't make that with a committee. Yeah. Like, no, right, right, like that's, right. that's one person saying no, Fuck you! This Metallica song is perfect for this. Yep. Trust me on this, and didn't, it was. Didn't Peter Jackson man. get behind that Paradise was the Lost? yeah no, with uh, uh, West of Memphis. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah. That was a different series, though. That yeah, was okay. separate. Um, that was a female filmmaker. Which uh, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that yet. Which, I've seen the three Paradise it, Lost it, movies. It's very good. Uh, I of course the Paradise Lost I, trilogy will always be so close to see, my I, heart. I, I always felt like I'd be cheating on Joe Berlinger <laughs> if I saw that movie, and I yeah. just I appreciate time and commitment that that man put into oh, those yeah. fucking movies. Yeah. I mean, that's a great filmmaker right there, Joe Berlinger and, yeah. and his partner as well. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But, um, Sanofsky, you, you know, yeah. uh, Paradise Lost is the first time I think Metallica licensed their music out yep. to an actual film. <laughs> yep. And, yeah. uh, yeah, but West of Memphis apparently, and this was, is what made it okay for me to cheat on Berlinger and, <laughs> and watch it was that apparently her and Jackson were actually pretty involved towards uh when three was coming out they oh, sort of wow. came in and they were helping as well okay so it wasn't like they came in so much after the fact okay. they were actually kind of involved and west of memphis it does get into a little bit more of the terry hobbs stuff towards the end not yeah. to give it away to anybody who hasn't seen the films and it gets into a little bit more of uh his relationship with Lori, damien's mm. uh relationship with uh Lori. so it, it is good i would say it's like kind of uh I don't want to call it the B side, but uh, yeah, you know the that trilogy is so important and so beautiful. I'll, I'll and check it. I out. think it's worth checking out as well. Definitely. Yeah, I got a lot of documentaries I got to catch up. On. Yeah, uh, uh, perpetually. Yeah, it seems like they're just they they always come out and it's a lot coming out now. It's yeah. very overwhelming to me because I was new to it with a band called Death, going to the festivals and everything. I'd never really. I had one movie at a film festival. And it was the Vermont Festival. It was my short film. Mm. Piece of shit. No one's ever going to see it. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> But uh, A Bank of Death was just like an eye-opener to how many other filmmakers are out there and how many other ideas and stories oh, yeah. are out there. I think there's... I read a statistic that there's 50,000 feature films <laughs> no, made Lord. a year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's including documentaries, but good God. Or, I mean, in, or including all the ones nobody knows about. But and right, well, the, right, the sad right. thing is there's yeah. so many movies that just don't get seen because there's so many movies made. Yeah. And so many great movies that don't get seen um, that don't get in the festivals. It's... Yeah. It's 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 tough. There's a lot of people making movies these days, mm-hmm. which I think is great. I think it's going to take many many years for people to finally go back and call what were the the really great ones because it's just so yeah. much at one time that yeah, it, it's going to take maybe ten years for people to look back and be like, oh, what was this guy doing? Oh, what was this girl doing? Sure. Or it'll take until they have like some huge success later on for them to go back and be like, oh, that guy was making shit like every couple of years for yeah. like a while. But uh, yeah, it's it's just so much stuff that you can't. There's no there's nobody sorting through it really. I mean, people yeah. people look to Netflix as like this aggregate of oh, it's if it's on Netflix, then that means it's <laughs> the cream Netflix. of the crop. And <laughs> well, it's like, uh, but you, uh, perception is reality in yeah. regards to that. I mean, it, it is. Yeah, and, you know. But there's so much stuff on Netflix too, where. Mm-hmm. Um, like they've even said, I think it was an article recently. They were like, "We're not in the business of like showing movies anymore. We want to just do TV." Yeah, and they have so many movies on there that are um, I don't even know what to call it. There's no like one word term for it yet because it's kind of a new phenomenon where it's 
It's the same thing as uh, like SEO, search engine optimization, but for film titles. Mm. So it's like if you type in like dog, like all these really, really low budget, bad uh, family this movies. Is, this is true. About dogs. You know, I know, you know, or I if know you're talking <laughs> cat, etc. This is know. true. This happened with a band called Death. Oh, yeah. Uh, my friend produces movie Blackfish, which we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Anytime somebody typed in black, it referred our movie to people that were <laughs> typing oh, it that's in. That's awesome. And, and vice versa. Oh, man. And so our films complemented each other. And that's part of the reason why our film blew up on Netflix, I think. Wow. was because Blackfish was such a huge movie and they had all the publicity from Magnet and CNN. And our film was kind of piggybacking on that almost. That's awesome. Um, because of the algorithm on Netflix. So that's one of the good things about Netflix. I but guess. that's the thing is that there's so many films now that, I mean, the rule thing too on Netflix, which a lot of people don't know, is that distributors... Um, get movies on Netflix not individually. They get them on there in mass. So they'll mm. they'll you have to have like fifty films at a time going yeah. up there from a given distributor. So that's why distributors grab like a lot of just crap. Mm-hmm. And then you'll see on Netflix, there's like tons of movies. They're just one star, and you're just scrolling through, yeah. and you're like, well, why would that be on Netflix? It's like no, right. it's not because it's it's on there because it's good. It's just on there because they just grab films chunk at a time and stick them on there. Yeah. Um, there's a, a perfect example, a movie called uh, A Talking Cat, which is, it's a, uh, it's got a uh, exclamation point, um, question mark, and then another exclamation point at the end. So it's just a talking cat. It's, it's one of the worst films I've ever made that I've, I've witnessed with my own two eyes. And, um, it's made by this filmmaker who does these, um, these gay werewolf vampire something movies that he's done. I, I forget the name of them now. So it's kind of have a following. This he guy did, yeah, he did. He's done like 30 films in this one series where he does like one film Dude. a year. It's like the wow. same. It's the same I, kind of um, what's the guy who did a uh, chopping mall. Wynorski. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like he he does like one film a year, too, and or See, I, several films a year. It's that same thing, but he does all these gay films. But then he just did this one family film called The Talking Cat. With the, he just uses the same house like over and over and over again. So it's just this gay like softcore porn house, <laughs> but for a talking cat movie where it's Eric Roberts dubbing over the voice of the cat, no and way. you can hear it like he's on <laughs> Skype. It actually oh my God, sounds see like so a bad Skype now. recording. <laughs> oh my God! So it's Eric Roberts on <laughs> Skype voicing the talking cat. I it's swear, brilliant. To you. that's awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, um, credit where credit's due. It's on I, Netflix. So I got well, to go to see it. But. Yeah. You know, the, the, another thing I noticed at film festivals that kind of blew my mind was how prolific some of these filmmakers are. I, I don't know about you guys, but for me personally, when I'm working on a film, I'm invested in just that one movie. I, mm-hmm. I can't think about anything else until that movie's done. Yeah. And I see, I see filmmakers have three or four films come out a year. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it and care about the content. I'm not putting them down. I just, right. I want to learn. You see that more with genre filmmakers. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, one guy that comes to mind is uh, Sam, Samberg. No, no. What's his uh, name? Oh, Swanberg. Swanberg. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know how he does it. I, I just like, I could never be that person. I, it would be so hard for me. Yeah. But is that something that you guys can do? I, I, don't, I mean, I can write as, as long as I feel like writing. I yeah. Mean, I, I, see, I'm know. not a, I wish I was a writer. I, I used to write. But then my mom died and I, I, I always say that that gave me writer's block was bullshit. I just feel like 
I felt like I was always writing for her and then I just didn't want to write anymore after she died. Like I, right. But as a writer, I could see that maybe, but, but making the films, like, I, I would have no problem making multiple projects really? if I had the funds. If I had the it. funds too. Yeah, yeah. I would be, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just maybe. Look, right now. I've got a, a screenplay ready an act two the two leads. Cause it's a two person film. Yeah. They're ready too. I need four grand. I don't have four so what, grand. So what, <laughs> In today's world, you um, need four grand to make a feature. Yeah, yeah. It, well, because it's a one. Well, that's me. I'm crazy. <laughs> I, no, I mean, yeah. stuck was only seventy three hundred. So yeah, I, yeah. yeah no. The last, the last film I made was I made it on the cost of Metro cards. That was my only expense. I made it for like two hundred bucks. What, that's what I love about yeah. the world we're living yeah. in is that you, if you have a good enough story, you can just fucking make your movie. Don't yeah. don't bitch and whine. Well, oh, I need fifty thousand. Man, I mean, I'll yeah. try and help you find four I'll, grand. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'd, send it to you. It's called Bed. It's about a couple. Oh and, no, that's a terrible <laughs> title. You're <laughs> gonna change the title first. <laughs> There's no film called Bed. I gotta have a Monopoly. I gotta have a Monopoly. Bed the franchise? I don't know. It could be going places. Yeah. You get it, you're gonna see all the kids are gonna have bed shirts. <laughs> Fuck the Avengers. That's a new that's a new it's, franchise. It's the new room. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's it's um, called Bed. It's a couple in bed. It's it's essentially um, you know, like Oleana or like any sort of hmm. two person play. Yeah. You cool. know, just in one location. It's just them. It's a couple that decide to spend a day in bed together, and so it's it's over. It, I want to shoot it in one day, so they they're learning it like a play where they have the yeah. entire thing known. That's awesome. Back to front, front to back, etc. And we just shoot it entirely in sequence over the course of an actual day. What what costs four thousand on on that equipment or mostly the big cost is they're working actors and they have actual jobs yeah. and in order to actually learn the material i have to basically cover their cost of their rent plus mm. location costs and then that's really it i have like the equipment i have everything yeah but um it's like they they literally they would be they would be out of their apartment if they stopped their life to actually do the film so i'd have you. to cover that cost because it's like it's one thing if I'm asking somebody to, to work for free, if it's a film where they're like, they're doing a couple lines or a couple scenes and then like, you know, mm -hmm. that that's about it. But it's, it's literally like doing an entire play because yeah. it's, it's a 90 page script and it's just them. So it's a, it's a huge commitment on their part. It's like, I have to pay them. I, I mm -hmm. wouldn't want to do it if I couldn't pay them. So now I know we're, we're, we're kind of living at a time where crowdsourcing has kind of hit its peak. Yeah. Like I, I did it for a band called, not a band called Death. I'm sorry. I didn't do it for a band. I wish I did. I did it for my current film, The Crest. Mm -hmm. We were able to raise money, but I think a lot of that was because of a band called Death. Right. Getting our name out there and whatnot. Have you thought about crowdsourcing? Yeah. I, um, I mean, I've only ever done crowdsourcing for like uh, small amounts. Yeah. For my first film, Shredder, I think I raised a couple grand and that was, that all went right into equipment. And then yeah. I just... We shot it shoestring as hell, and I I love the way it looks. I love mm -hmm. everything about it. Like it, it, all the aesthetics is exactly what I wanted. And then rehearsals, I just made with the exact same equipment that I already had. Mm -hmm. And then I just made that film. And then my only actual cost, like I said, was just Metro Card ride. So I made that film for like a hundred bucks, wow. technically, because I just yeah. used the the old equipment. And that was a documentary, so it was the kind of thing where like it was just pretty easy to do on that budget. You now know? you're, you're doing John, you're doing a uh, crowdsource now, aren't you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's fucking torture. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, so, it's like a full-time job. Oh yeah. Know, and, uh, and I'm failing miserably at it. Well, so, yeah, it's very difficult. Yeah. I, I did one for a film that actually fell through 
which I kind of feel guilt over not delivering a film over. Yeah. Because I did it on the Indiegogo where people put in money um, even though... Mm -hmm. You get might, to keep it. Yeah. Right. And I put yeah. that right into equipment and we were shooting and shooting and shooting and it just... We, we ran out of money. There's nothing we can do. And yeah. everybody had to go back to their own lives. It was people that didn't live in New York City and it just fell apart. And it, I feel like a guilt over that where I wouldn't want to crowdfund again Yeah, because I feel like I owe a, at least a movie to well, these yeah. people that put money in. I, I'm kind of in the situation now like that with The Crest because we raised 32000 through Kickstarter. And mm -hmm. like I said, a lot of that had to do with a bank called death cred, but we also did some unique things to raise that money as well, which I could talk about if you want. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't enough. We need like 140. Now oh, you always need movie. more. You always need more. And so my, you know, instead of going back on a crowdsourcing uh, campaign, which I don't want to do again, to do it twice for the same film, people don't understand how films are made. No, they won't get it. They'll think, oh, he's scamming us. You know, yeah. um, one of my friends did this for our Nixon. She was able to raise 40,000 two times. I don't know how she did it yeah. on Kickstarter. But uh, I forgot where the fuck I was going with it. That's all right. Let's <laughs> um, actually, let's take a quick break and okay, then we'll, sure. be, we'll be right back. See you soon. Hello, Smug Film fans. Did you know that Smug Film now has a voicemail box? Just call the following phone number. 718395 and leave a question or a comment about the show along with your name and we may play it on a future episode. Thank you for listening, and now, back to the show. And now, Chloe Peltier, reviewing a movie she's seen parts of while working at the theater. In Burnt, Bradley Cooper violates the hell out of health code, at least it seems from what I've seen walking into it. It's like, he does shit like, get thrown in the garbage and come back into the kitchen. He does shit like go throw up and come back into the kitchen. He gets blood on his face and comes back into the kitchen and touches his face while he's arranging fancy plates that are about to go out to the guest. He also throws shit and yells and like shatters stuff everywhere and then that debris could go into his food. And then he goes and he has cake with a little girl and like licks his fingers in front of all the customers in his restaurant. It's like, dog, you about to spread some foodborne illness. Oh shit, the Royals won. There's all these loud noises going on outside. Everybody like, yay, yay. Oh shit. I don't know what those booms are, maybe fireworks, but yeah, we won. Haha, <laughs> beat your ass, New York. <laughs> Thanks, Chloe. And now back to the show. All right. And we are back. So uh, Mark was telling us about the interesting ways he's he's gone about funding um, the crest now that he's done the uh, the crowdfunding campaign. He's he's doing it the old fashioned way. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I lost my train of thought before. That's all right. Um, but, you know, we did a Kickstarter. We raised 32 grand and um there's a lot of pressure when you get that money from investors because they want to see the finished film yeah. as soon as possible. And for us, we raised that money in 2013. We're still cutting. Um, it's, it's it's a documentary. It takes a long time. Oh, yeah. People don't get that. And I, I feel like we should have been more upfront about that maybe on our Facebook page or not how, Facebook how, how page many, on uh, our Kickstarter page. How many say. hours of footage? I think two to three hundred. Jesus. Um, yeah, I mean, which is common for no, yeah, doc. But, I mean, that's know. a lot. Yeah, to, but that's like apocalypse now yeah. or whatever. I mean, I, I won't lie. Braveheart. It's, I, yeah, it's it's rough. Like I'm I'm a beat man. I 
I'm afraid to go home because I have to start cutting again. But um, do you have a rough cut? Yep. No, I'm not there yet. I, yeah. I, I should have. It takes a long time, man. I wanted one a year ago, but it's just these things are so unpredictable. You just don't know yeah. where it's going to go. The and, thing that I did for for rehearsals, <laughs> my documentary was that I was constantly cutting as I was shooting because mm-hmm. the the whole premise was it's me just watching aspiring actresses live their lives. Mm. I was just a fly on the wall. I was just shooting them as they were like doing dishes or like running lines or whatever. Yeah. And I was constantly trying to figure out how the fuck the footage was going to fit together because it was totally instinctual. It was like the cuts would be totally instinctual. Like I knew that going in and I didn't want to give myself a story to tell. I just wanted to discover what the fuck I was trying to say with this, but just by shooting a ton of footage and seeing how it plugs in like a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. yeah. So as I was shooting, like if I did, you know, one shoot with one girl and then another shoot with another girl, then I'd see like, all right, well, does that footage cut one to another at all? Maybe not. All right, well, let me wait around. And then eventually after doing it over the course of like nine months, just shooting tons of 16 different women's lives, I eventually like I there was a time when I I shot a sequence and I was like all right well that's the ending I know that that's the ending I didn't I didn't know that that was going to be the ending but yeah that's the ending yeah and then I shot something the very first thing I knew would be the um beginning I lucked out on that the very first shoot I was like yep that's the opening scene done Mm -hmm. so I had that at least and you would get these little like milestones here and there where you could sort of cut it together. But that was the hardest editing job yeah. I've ever done in my entire life because it, it was all by the seat of your pants. It was all anybody else could have cut a completely different movie from that footage. Yeah, it would it would have had a similar vibe because mm-hmm. my visual style would have been the same, but people would have found their own messages, you know, in what was shot and I found my own message and I had to be so sure of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I didn't want it to be the thing of like, oh, well, why did he cut there? Like, why did that happen? Why did this that, and the other? I had to have a reason, even if somebody didn't pick up on it when they were watching it, I had to have a reason within myself why this shot was this long, why this, sh- why this scene flowed into that scene. I had to make sure of it, even though it was a very like avant-garde experimental film where not a lot you know, quote unquote happens. It's just, you know, voyeuristic footage to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So well, it, I think filmmakers have to answer for the choices that they make. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that- absolutely. I, and I, I didn't want to be that guy who, uh, like there are so many examples of like experimental films where it's just like, Oh, cause whatever. It's like, you know, it's, it's anything to, it's open to interpretation. It's like, no, I wanted to know what something meant. Mm-hmm. It's like, it could mean something abstract, but I want to know what that abstract thing means. I yeah. want to know that there's something there. Cause I think that is palpable. Even if somebody doesn't pick up on exactly what it is, mm-hmm. you can sort of tell when it means something to somebody that something is, is cut in a certain way. I mean, me and me and John D'Amico and Jenna, we did an episode on uh, how a lot of a lot of films that are are thought of as like the best films ever made, like Citizen Kane or certain Hitchcock stuff. They're very teachable films and people confuse teachability with it being great Mm -hmm. because a lot of these people that are choosing these films for like top AFI lists or whatever, they're academics. And so they're like, oh, well, that's that film's great to teach. So that's the greatest film. But there are a lot of films that you couldn't in a million years teach it because the cuts are so instinctual. Mm -hmm. And um, 
it doesn't mean that they're lesser films. It just means that they're not as teachable mm-hmm. yet. They're, they're not on that same list. I would say. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's you're talking about why I hated going to film school <laughs> right on. Yeah, I never went. And I'm glad I never went because everyone I ever talked to, it was <laughs> they hate it. The yeah, theory yeah. classes really got to me. I just bunch of dudes that are just pissed off that they're not filmmakers teaching these classes. Right on. But uh, but I was that your experience as well, pretty much. No, I I mean I went to SVA to be a comic book illustrator. Oh yeah. So yeah, I uh, I only became a filmmaker after um uh, 2008 when the economy fell apart. I ended up. Uh, simultaneously quitting my job to try and be a freelance graphic designer so i was uh-huh. i went from not being a comic book illustrator to being a graphic designer and uh things got so bad that i moved to florida um, my family had a fam uh, business down there and the economy continued to get so bad that i had to leave and i moved back to new york and i was unemployed for about two years and uh there was a six or eight month stretch in there when uh, i couldn't leave the apartment it was just anxiety build, you know, mm. craziness. And, uh, and so I ended up getting a job with a company that I used to work for and I hated it. And that was the thing that forced me out of the house was a shitty job. And after I quit that shitty job, I ended up meeting my producing partner, Julie Sisson. And we started out with a retooling, a feature that I had, and we made a web series called eight for Vegas. And, uh, it was, you know, nine episodes. It's, it's awful. If you're particularly masochistic you can look (laughs) you can look for it but it was fun you know we learned a lot and ever since then we've been uh producing other stuff we did a couple of pilots and um a second season of that of that web series because we loved working with those people Mm. we did a a short film called 5 a.m which got into a bunch of festivals and then uh in february of last year we uh we shot stuck which is our first feature and uh it was great. I mean, Which was sounds like, very personal. Yeah. I'm, you know, it's funny, though. Um, I, I did a, a radio interview with a psychiatrist. It, Stuck is about an agoraphobic guy who doesn't leave his house or hasn't left his house in two years. Hmm. And he gets a new therapist and the therapist challenges him to leave his apartment in the next 30 days. So it's that like journey. So I, I was on a radio show with a, with a therapist and she had, she had asked if it was a, you know, a cathartic process, a project and, and it wasn't. And I, and I feel like I'm not telling people what they want to hear because it's the perfect right. project to say yes. And I, you know, I, and it, <laughs> it was the farthest thing from, a, at least you're not lying. <laughs> well, yeah, but I feel like I'm letting some people down with that answer. And yeah. I, See, that's, a, that's funny too. Cause that's a thing that I've always noticed, like. Because my my first film was semi autobiographical vibe wise, yeah. but wasn't necessarily semi autobiographical story wise. Mm. It was it was very much a document of how I felt at a particular time in my life. But I would never say based on a true story or right. inspired right. by a film. And you see, like you and I, we have a hang up about that. But <laughs> you, we also see all those other films where it says like, oh, this was based on a true story. Oh, this yeah. is, and then you look into the thing and it's like, mm, barely. <laughs> like, but not that's, even. Uh, that's, that's marketing. I mean, yeah. so, you know, the, and, and I don't, <laughs> I have no desire to take advantage of yeah, that it's just, situation. It's that, low. Yeah. The cathartic part of it, I, you know, I started right. The first project we were going to do was a romantic comedy. I was figuring that, you know, there's, there's a couple of genres that are reasonably easy to try and sell mm-hmm. more so than like a drama or, you know, and we don't have the money for a sci-fi epic or anything like that. So horror and comedy were the two that we were looking at. And we, we, I started writing a romantic comedy 
And the, um, the budget started getting away from me and I was in the nineties pages, you know, and, uh, I couldn't get out of the second act. And so mm. I decided to, you know, scrap the project and, uh, and start from scratch. And so I, you know, writing for budget is much different than writing, just writing a script, and, yeah. you know, and, and so figuring that we weren't going to be able to raise more than 10,000, I, I figured out, you know, I grabbed a sheet of paper and I said, I put assets up at the top and, and I, uh, and I wrote out a list of all the things that were free that I, that I had available to that's me. That's a, that's a really good idea actually. And so the, the first thing that, that, that came up was my apartment. Right. And then the second was my, <laughs> my cat. He plays a big part in the, and he steals this show. Um, no wrangler on no, set. No, no, no cat wrangler. <laughs> and, uh, and so my, uh, my hallway was one of my lobby or a lobby, uh, that I knew we had access to an office and, uh, a park in the city. And, and from that, a story emerged and yeah. the first story was not stuck. It was a totally different, uh, story that it was about a drug dealer who never leaves his apartment and his, and his, uh, his clients come to him mm-hmm. and I thought, all right, well, you know, I, you know, unfortunately at the time high maintenance had just, uh, hit. Mm-hmm. And was doing really well. And I was like, I don't want to do a thing about drug dealers when they've got like the market cornered on drug right. dealers. And so uh, I, you know, I said, well, who doesn't leave their apartment? And all of a sudden I was like, okay, well that kind of makes sense. And I started thinking about what I was, had gone through, but only minimally because the story had to be much more entertaining than the shit that I went through. Right. And the thing about the cathartic part was that the last thing in the world that I wanted to do was relive something that caused me so much angst yeah you know and so retooling the story and something that that was uh true to the condition but also respectful and then we ended up with a with a pretty interesting film that's great yeah and what you just said about listing assets i i love that because that that's a similar thing that i went through where you know when you have such a low budget you you get obsessed with like the lack of money and you you don't remember like the production values that you do have just Absolutely. Just as far as what you have. And like, if you're, if you're a writer, you can write for, you know, whatever you have. I mean, you could, you you look around and you're like, well, that door looks interesting. Right. It's like, well, I could shoot that door. I could come up with something for (laughs) for that door. And that's how I felt with, uh, you know, my room. Like that's, that's, that was my inspiration for my first film shredder. I was like, this is an interesting looking room. I could, I could tailor something to that. And and that became the genesis of that. And I like when people use what they have in that way because nobody nobody with a $5 million budget is going to realize, oh, that, that guy's room is great. Like, I'm going to shoot that. It's like, it has to come from, from you, even if you don't have the money. It's like, nobody's going to make that movie except for you. And I, I love films that nobody can make except for the person who made them. That's, that's something that always draws me to films. Yeah. No, and I, I think the, you know, character development at this level of, and budget of filmmaking makes you really pick specific. I mean, you have to make significant choices in regards to how you're going to tailor your characters, but also the biggest thing that you have to keep in mind is, is pace. Yeah. Because at, at 85 or 90 minutes in a, in a low budget film, you're in trouble if you don't keep things moving because you'll, you'll bore your audience because you're thinking that everything is solved with money or crazy locations or, right. you know, huge cast or, or, or what have you. But when, when that's, uh, you know, actually the opposite. Yeah. My, my own films, they've ended up relatively short. They've uh, been 78 minutes and 73 minutes right. respectively. 
the first cut of my first film was like two hours long because I wanted to do a cut that was exactly strict to the script. Right. And right. so I was like, all right, well, that's that cut. Is that good? Mm, it's pretty good. Could be better. And then you just sort of trim away. And then it ended up being 78 minutes. And in my own life, I always get excited when I'm like, there's a movie I want to watch. And then I find out it's like 80 minutes, 70 minutes. I'm like, done. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> like, great. It's like, when there's a movie I want to watch and I find out it's like three hours, five. Like, I have 1900, the Bertolucci film on yeah. Blu-ray, sitting on my shelf. Never took it out of the shrink wrap. <laughs> I really do want to watch it. I, I love Bertolucci. It's, Haven't watched it yet. It's five hours. When am I going to have that time? I, I just watched um, Interstellar for the uh -huh. second time and I don't I don't know about you guys but I it was the most boring I science hated fiction that film movie I, with I, a passion I'm over <laughs> Nolan I can't I, do it I anymore can't, he's he's a one trick like uh I'm going to make something interesting but not put any effort into Did, developing characters yeah. I mean it's particular female characters they're all these two dimensional you know uh, devices instead of human beings Yeah I was done after Inception because when I saw Inception, it felt like somebody was pitching me a movie that they were then going to write. Like all the, all the, all the scenes that were expository, it was like, all right, yeah, that would be cool in a movie. Yeah. That'd, that'd be, yeah. Well, maybe when you make the movie that, yeah, you, no, yeah, you could put that. Yeah. I would love to see. Okay. But I, all right, we'll just put that in. And then. You know, that, that was, and then the movie was over. Right. No. <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always fascinated with the amount of credit he gets for things. Um, you know, like maybe the design of the Tumblr was, uh, you know, whatever he did. On, and, and, but for me, I, there are just all these, this tons of unsung heroes who made these things right. actually happen. Absolutely. I mean, the, yeah. you know, the, the moving uh, shot in Inception in the hallway or, or TARS or, or whatever. And, and if it's films that, yeah, you have an imagination, you came up with it, but, but along the way, those people who made it happen had to solve problems that you didn't think of that made it the thing that everybody loves. Yeah. yeah that's a George he, Lucas. He thing. becomes the that's, genius. That's that Star created. Wars in a nutshell. Is sure. So many unsung heroes yeah. doing storyboards, doing props, doing everything that, uh, that comes together in this beautiful way. And I, I think on the other hand, people put too much responsibility on George as far as the prequels and how they went, because it's like he had a, he had a team of people and clearly they dropped the ball as well. Yeah. Or or they were just afraid to say something. Yeah, I mean, that I, is you know, true. It, it, That's a great because point. Even in particular, the second film, and I, I won't even, I don't even remember the name. Attack of the Clones. Yeah. You didn't even have to say it. Um, yeah. The dialogue is just so atrocious mm -hmm. that, you, you, you know, I don't know about you guys, but when I when I write a script, I need a reading so that I can yeah. do another Titan. Because when you hear it out loud, of course, it's completely different. Than yeah, what works on the page it. isn't necessarily going to work. Right, spoken. Well, you, you just have to wonder when they were saying this in a room <laughs> yeah. that nobody just said, "George, yeah. I just I don't think humans talk that way." You <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> oh, it's a shame. They're a mess. <laughs> the one thing I'll, I'll have to give credit where credits due. Fellow smug film contributor Harry Burris, the one thing that has actually made me enjoy the prequels more is he made a great point that it makes the Jedi's as fallible as anybody else, which mm -hmm. is actually yeah. a plus for it because that's alluded to in the original trilogy in very minute ways that wasn't ever fully explored. That 
that that Jedi's are kind of hypocrites in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And the prequels kind of expound upon that. And now when I rewatch the prequels, I see that a little bit more. And that gets it a little bit more enjoyment out of it for me. But ultimately, of course, it, yeah. it, it's a disappointment. Didn't somebody do a... Um Oh, wasn't it Elijah Wood who did a cut? I think of it was all... Topher Grace. Oh, Topher Grace. Yeah. What did he do? He, he did, did a cut of all three of the prequels without Jar Jar and oh wow, and, uh, and without a lot of stuff. It was yeah. he made it into one film, I believe. Yeah, huh. yeah. is it actually good? I don't Have you guys seen it? Know. Know. Yeah. I'm afraid to watch it. Man. It's <laughs> yeah. like dipping I don't like your head trust in it. Topher well, Grace. He, like I don't think you can or... find it. He did a screening of it once, and oh, really? then it never. For some reason, it never ended up online. Somebody did that with Prometheus and Alien. Oh um, yeah, there's like a yeah. cut where they merge yeah. the two, and I, I actually have a copy. A friend sent it to me. Ah. I haven't seen it yet. And Soderbergh and it, does. Soderbergh uh, did Raiders of the Lost Ark, Black and White. Oh, oh did he? Long. Yeah, oh, yeah. I think but that he does. He does fan cuts too of of films. Um and. And those are supposed to be pretty good too, but the, I'm 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 afraid to watch it. Yeah, <laughs> the, prequel, <laughs> the prequels are good, man. Yeah, yeah. Are you excited for the new one? I, I JJ? you know, I am. I think yeah. I think it's gonna. I really enjoyed the Star Trek films the two star trek films that came out i mean mm-hmm. they were I'm, they were what they star were star wars you mean no no i mean like the first one was cool and i yeah. thought it was an interesting idea that they you know to to change things up a bit yeah. and the second one is is fine you know i i i've i've watched it a couple of times since it's been out so i mean i get some kind of enjoyment out of it i, mm. I think he's a he's, he's a talented guy yeah i mean the pilot to lost is oh a, my god it's an unbelievable it's one of film, the best man however i mean i love the whole series yeah but however anybody else feels about the entire series that pilot is pitch perfect yeah. that's mm. exactly no, what you want great. out of a pilot my feeling on the star wars the new ones is at a certain point it's really just fan fiction yeah and absolutely yeah that's just yeah. that's at the end of the day and is it going to be good fan fiction that'd mm-hmm. be that'd be fun but there's there's something empty about fan fiction that it, there's always going to be that little tiny emptiness of yeah but it's just fan fiction like that's how i felt when i saw the poster that they just released i was yeah. like it looks it's always going to look like a oh. fan poster right yeah right. at some level it's always going to look like i mean and to me with like the disney takeover and everything it feels like the inmates are kind of running the asylum sure well i think they're doing i I think they're you know after lucas sold the rights and 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 all of that and then kathleen kennedy comes on and she's begging abrams to to do it and as much as i they're they're following the marvel you know business model at this point and anybody who just wants to make money is is doing that with the property i mean they're they just you know, put Godzilla with King Kong and all that. And Mm -hmm. and for some reason they're thinking that that's going to work, even though they did the, uh, the universal monsters and nobody went to go see Dracula. And now they're kind of stuck because they had this big plan and now it's kind of, so then they try another plan, but it's the same plan. And, and, you know, I, I don't understand it, but Disney knows what they're doing. Yeah. It's, it's clearly, you know, it's worked in Marvel's, uh, in, in Marvel's case, I'm sure it's going to be hugely successful with Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's just going to be, it's, yeah. it's what's going to happen. Like nothing we say in this moment or will ever say will ever get in the way of those movies making billion dollars. Yeah. But absolutely. That being said, I know that at maximum, I'll only get a, I read good fan fiction feeling from that new film. And if I enjoy myself, I'm going to enjoy myself and that's great. But Ultimately, I'm not going to feel that connection again. And I think it's almost like it's coping with death. Like it's a thing like that where 
I think people need to realize at a certain point that like what happened happened and it's never going to happen again. And right. it is what it is. And you can go back and watch those films if you want that feeling, but you're mm-hmm. never going to, it's never going to be the same. And, uh, there's so much hope for this, the seventh film that I think people kind of forget that. And well, I just hope they keep it simple. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, the, the first, you know, a new hope is a reasonably simple linear film. That's and a good you, point. You know, and, 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 and it seems like they're going that route from yeah. all the footage they've been releasing. I mean, everything is practical effects for the most part. I mean, I don't know if there's going to be CGI, of course, but yeah, of course, um, but at least we're seeing like puppets instead well, and of sets pre- and, and yeah. like sets. actual, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it, there was uh, Ewan McGregor was saying that there was a moment where he had to carry <laughs> Luke and it was a bundle of just green, like, and he's like, well, so why don't bad. we just get a baby? But then it ended up being like American Sniper and a big fake baby. You know, it's, yeah, just, yeah. It, it's just, it's just funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. One of these days I might actually revisit the uh, prequels. I haven't seen them since they came out. No, I haven't, I, yeah, no one's ever going to see you again. I, I, I just, I yeah. have no will to see it again. Really, if you cried but. when you were in your basement, <laughs> I just remember. Where do, do you start watching the I, prequels? Again? I remember being one of everybody waiting outside all day to see that first fucking movie, and Would then you, you, and then the credits rolled at the ending, and you were sitting there like, "What the fuck?" Which is which is the one where uh, Django Fett was trying what? to kill everybody in the asteroid field and was that ejecting Boba Fett's those dad. Yeah. That, it was okay, ejecting yeah. those mines and they were like <laughs> silently exploding. And then they did the Mwang. Yeah, that was two, I think that. Uh, so I went to go see that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was so excited to see that because I was like that. They, they just can't do a worse job. <laughs> and that scene blew me away, man. That I, I mean, say what you want about no, them, that's but an impressive sound scene. design. Oh wise, my gosh. Yeah. It, the, the films are unmatched. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's unbelievable. And the funny thing about those uh, those three films is uh, if you look at what they're, and this might have changed, but back many years ago, their original production budgets were $60 million. Mm-hmm. And I found it so funny that mm-hmm. um, that Lucas had everything done under the umbrella of Lucasfilm and THX and right. ILM. And, and so he was just paying his own people to make these, yeah. this hundred or, you know, $150 million film. Yeah. So I, I just found that funny. So I have to ask, you know, you always have to ask, what is your, what, what's your favorite of, of the trilogy? Let's skip the prequels. Let's just focus on original. Where do you rank four, five, six? Oh man. Uh, you know, it's gotta be uh five, four, six. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and, and it's, and I love four. I, and yeah, it's yeah. just, just a wonderful, you know, original gorgeous movie to look at. But that second, chapter is just mm. unbelievable how about you mark the empire strikes back it's right. always going to be number one for yeah. me yeah um and then jedi would be next and the new hope to me was i, I appreciate it and i love it but it always just felt yeah. like it just didn't have the money that it needed at the time i felt like it could have been more of a movie it but very well could have um, my my whole thing is i don't I, even count the prequels by the yeah, way we're not <laughs> we're not gonna play that game <laughs> yeah and by the way i'm Kind of a Trekkie, but <laughs> right on. But I'm not a full fledged Trekkie. I only like the movies that came out in the '80s. Okay, <laughs> so, okay, whatever that means. Interesting. <laughs> so two on, uh, it pretty much. Yeah, okay. yeah, not that's the first very, one. That's a rare Trekkie. <laughs> uh, it is. I don't know why. It's they're the only ones that speak right to on. me. I, yeah. Right. So for me, if I'm honest with myself, six contains my favorite moments of the entire series. 
the, the entire third act is but I love this I love the pace of the stuff where yeah. it's just the Emperor Darth and yeah. uh, and Luke the pace of that and how that's stretched out it's like one scene and it's, it's stretched great. out over like it's a half hour perfectly oh my god yeah. that's my favorite thing in the entire trilogy but five is the better film yeah. as a whole so yeah. I go I go five I give the edge to six just because it does contain my favorite moments. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it also create, contains my least favorite moments. I don't like the Ewok stuff. Yeah. Um, um, I see, I don't mind. I never mind. mind no, I, always, I, just, I always love the Ewoks. I don't know yeah, why. I, and the song at the end. I mean, I just, when, yeah. when they re-released the films and they took the song out, I was like, fuck you. How do you remove? Yeah. It wasn't that. This is like putting, removing the guns from E.T. <laughs> How do you do? What's your problem? Yeah. Well, the great thing about the guns from ET thing is though is that he later regretted that. He oh, was I like, know. No, I, I love that. I love yeah. that he was like, actually, that was a that was, was a wrong choice. For, yeah. yeah, he even took out a line about the World Trade Center. I think that the mom mentioned. Oh, he did. Yeah, oh, yeah. God. I don't know how any filmmaker can do that. No, go back and no. just. I mean, well, because Spielberg is the safest. I, filmmaker on the yeah. planet now i mean he just picks projects that are you know are easily palpable or or yeah. you know are gonna like remind people of an error gone by that they just can't forget <laughs> or some shit I, he's this new one that came out it might as well be a ron howard movie oh, yeah I know. it's like there's it totally no feels like there's one. no there's reason a... for it to be a spielberg film <laughs> no, none in at my all. book none mm -hmm. at all that's that's just a ron howard angels and demons whatever or film frost nixon <laughs> I even, shit or... i don't even think spielberg's trying anymore he's, he's he doesn't have cash to. And pay. i know exactly he doesn't have to i, I always wanted I, I mean to me like the last good film he made was Munich, but that's just me personally. I never saw that one. Oh, I still need to see that one. It's really good. That's yeah. what I've always heard. I don't know. There are these films that I always forget to watch. Yeah, yeah. and I never saw that. I did enjoy War of the Worlds. I loved. I loved. I War have the to Worlds. admit, I, I, I enjoyed. No, it. I enjoyed. I fucking hated. Yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> the, the only thing I didn't like about it was the lead, yeah. but oh, man. Um, I didn't mind them. Cruise Cruise gets to me sometimes. I didn't mind them, <laughs> but I I do like War of the Worlds. That came out after Munich, I think, didn't it? Yeah, maybe um, a year or two. But I think. Munich's a better it's made still a film. safe I, yeah you I, know, I mean it's totally. well, the, the ending of War of the Worlds really fucking pissed me off it didn't I, bug me I, I didn't want that kid to be alive oh that <laughs> specifically yeah to, to, but, but I, I, I do love the fact that the, the original actors from cool. the original film show up as the grandparents I like mm -hmm. that oh, that's that, was cool. a, that was a nice the thing touch. that took me out of that film <laughs> was that you know, was, was it Morgan Freeman? <laughs> no, they were going to Boston, right? Yeah. And then at the finale of the film, spoiler it, they end up at Boston. <laughs> but they don't end up in Boston. They end up 10 blocks away yeah. in my neighborhood. <laughs> oh, nice. It's, it's going nice. to be the same shit with this Ghostbusters and movie that like, they're shooting oh in Boston right now. They're well, trying to make like, it seem like New I'm York. like, wait a second. <laughs> I've walked down that block 50, 60 times right. in my lifetime. Yeah. That's not Boston. I know. So that that's what took me out of the film for me. I hate when that happens. Where it's a bummer. Yeah, I, it's going to be that way with the Ghostbusters movie yeah. for me because I'm going to know that because I've been to Boston so many times. I'm going to be like, that's fucking Boston. Yeah, that's yeah. not New York City. Well, they they built a fake like entrance subway entrance and it's clearly not yeah, they, anywhere they didn't get oh, the yeah, numbers like, right. Six train or something <laughs> yeah, like that, but so it was stupid. a stop that isn't the six yeah. train. And it, uh, when uh, they make mistakes like that, I just. I, how did you even? It's a hundred. Why, why it's a hundred million dollar movie. Spend yeah. the extra time to pay attention to detail. Yeah. I mean, it, it's got to be the budget's got to be at least that. They're not going to, so, you know. Is that uh, the art director's job or uh, no, no, no? That's no, a producer's that's a decision. Pro well, I, I mean, the classic example is like 
there was a spat of like 90s films that were like Toronto as New York City right. kind of things yeah, like yeah. Short Circuit 2 I always remember as like one, <laughs> one of those that's a great movie by the way <laughs> well, Fisher <laughs> Stevens Fisher yeah, playing Stevens. an Indian I yeah. wish we could get a third one with him <laughs> <laughs> too bad he wasn't in Chappie <laughs> I love Chappie so Chappie much too, right? oh god you didn't like, like Chappie <laughs> right. that's, that's a tough one that gets through to people I, I get Chappie. it I, I, I completely understand why people don't like love it please <laughs> All he's got to do is stop writing his own scripts. <laughs> District Nine is one of the best films to come out in the last like I, fifteen I agree. years. Just, it, it it's is a masterpiece. Brilliant movie. It's tremendous. Die Antwerp should never have been in that film. <laughs> oh, I, I loved them. Oh, for God's sake! <laughs> I loved oh, them. Oh my God! <laughs> All right, I'm going to close it out here before we get into fisticuffs. <laughs> but. Uh, it, it was great having you guys on. This was like a Thank last very much. This was like a last minute pod. You guys were just a, yeah. you were around and I was like, fucking come on down. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks yeah. For, any thanks. any final thoughts for the audience? Anything you want to leave them with? Any links uh, to check out any stuff coming up with your film? Um, well, we got a new movie coming out. It's called Four Bottles. And uh, I mean, right now, we're the only thing we have is a Facebook page. So it's facebook.com slash four bottles. All right. Well, people can check it out. See yeah. what see what's going on with those bottles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's going to be great. Apparently, there are a, four of them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> are, aren't you doing a seed and spark? Too? Yeah, you can. Yeah, we're having we have a seed and spark campaign. It's up for a week now. Uh, we have a week left and uh, and you can get that info on uh, on the uh, right on, on the Facebook page. I don't know when this episode will. It, oh, that's yeah. Fine. Oh, so that's true. That's yeah. still, <laughs> come, come visit and, and yeah. Uh, you know, well, by the time they get there, it'll probably be cobwebs on it. That's that's but, totally possible. <laughs> but check it out yeah. for sure. <laughs> Mark, anything anything to plug? Um, Any, anything? <laughs> I, I don't know. If, Just plug if, anything. What do you enjoy if, in life? If, What's well, the last I, good movie you saw? Last good movie I saw. <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. Well, you uh, you told me you've been watching horror movies like every day this month. Yeah, but they're all you know they're old. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think of something contemporary. <laughs> I can't think of anything contemporary. We're living in the internet age. Everything's contemporary. That's true. It doesn't matter what, what was the last movie you saw. Yeah. What'd you watch yesterday? Last movie I saw, it was a horror film. Oh, God. <laughs> I watched it with Jen, my wife. Clearly, it was memorable. It was Clear, <laughs> yeah. Very good film, apparently. Uh, oh, no. It was the Graveyard Shift, uh, Stephen oh. King short oh, story, which so. is a great horror film. Yeah. It, every, right. Everybody should check that out. It's it's really good. I don't think I've seen that one. It's very creepy. It's just vignettes, right? It's, I mean, it's a bunch of shorts. It's, no, no. It's it's one film, but it's um, it takes place in this cotton mill, and there's this beast that keeps killing people, and you don't know what it is until the okay. ending. I don't want to give away don't too give much. Don't give it away. But there's a great performance by... Uh, I'm I forgot the guy's shift. first name, but something... Mott. His last name is Mott. Yeah. He's, he's he was he's been he was the father in. Uh, see, I'm terrible at names, by the way. He yeah. was the father in uh, uh, Monster Squad. I forgot the guy's the actor's name, but he's so amazing in the right movie. He's, he's got this over the top main accent, and to me, it's just like one of the one of my favorite yeah. Stephen King made movies. Some or, of those oddball Stephen King ones are really good. I yeah. love. Uh, there's this one in particular, Writing the Bullet. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's an that. incredible fucking movie. And the guy that made that actually, like he's he said also that's a very like personal film for him. And I think it was, comes through. That's, that wasn't Mick Garris, was it? I think was it was. Yeah, it Mick, Mick Garris. Mick Garris yeah. is great. I love Mick Garris. He said that's his most personal film. That's yeah. his favorite thing he's ever done. And Mick, awesome. Mick Garris, who's a horror icon, I mean, he's directed yeah. tons of movies from Sleepwalkers to a lot of the Stephen King. I think he did this TV Shining, which yeah, is he did more based on the book. Than the, 
Yeah. He, he thinner. Yeah. Did he do thinner? Or maybe. I don't, I don't know. I if he love did thinner. thinner though. I, thinner I think is great. Thinner's pretty uh, underrated. It's, it's a personal favorite at our house. We always yeah. quote it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I dig like the really cheesy Stephen King. Oh, movies. I love yeah. that They're stuff. Great. I, I love the pulpy DC comics kind of totally. stuff. Totally, yeah. and even the good ones. I mean, Cujo to me is one of the best horror films ever made. I just I fucking I'm liking love that you go to bat for Cujo. I, I, I really love Cujo. To, no, 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 no. no I know. I was going to say uh, Guillermo del Toro is dying to direct a pet cemetery. Ooh, that'd be interesting. That's interesting. interesting. The, the one thing I will say is I was never a fan of pet cemetery one, but I'm actually a fan of pet cemetery <laughs> really? two for some reason. I don't know why I like the second one. Right. I, I think it's a big Ed Furlong fan. I, I, I like Edward Furlong. He's, he's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I tried the other night, which I'll have to, I just have to address this. I tried Firestarter 2, oh. which the reason why I tried it was it's the girl that Coop likes in Wet Hot American Summer. She's yeah. the lead. She plays the Firestarter. Nice. I got about 10 minutes in, but you have to you have to at least watch the opening credits. It's on yeah. Netflix. You got to watch the opening credits because they just cycle through every like stock fire footage effect like yeah. on like whatever they edited it on like after effects or whatever they just <laughs> they just toss out like all these fire effects for no reason yeah <laughs> just over the opening credits it's like all right there's a list of 30 we can use just yeah. try all 30 <laughs> we'll see what happens what, what are your thoughts on maximum overdrive because that's the only one that's king actually directed never actually himself. seen that one i uh, love that you, fucking gotta, you movie. gotta watch it i gotta yeah I, to me i mean it's not really a horror film as much as it is just an action film yeah. i always end up liking stephen king like oddball me too not much fan support kind of like like i love silver bullet silver i'm always great. gonna love silver yeah. bullet yeah. Creep, creep show he did with yeah. romero i mean exactly. that's a great movie yeah um, i even love his acting in creep show. he's so awesome in that movie <laughs> nobody gives him credit for that it was great. I, thought, I mean it's better than anything tarantino <laughs> ever totally does. better than anything Tar- oh Dude. yeah i mean oh. <laughs> i i think his appearance in Django was his absolute worst it, I, that was one of the worst it's just another situation where because just, he nobody can, do can good, say though. anything to him like, and just say I, you yeah. know what do you do what I, are you doing i love his performance in uh desperado i think it's one of the most memorable little cameos. Well, I, I like him in From Dust Till Dawn. Maybe he needs a different director. Maybe he needs yeah. somebody directing him. I to hate perform. him in Pulp Fiction. That whole yeah. arc in Pulp Fiction. See, I kind of like him in that. <laughs> for me, you can cut that whole arc out. Yeah, I don't need it whatsoever. And yeah, I'm yeah. saying that as a guy who loves Kaitel. Yeah, yeah, I fucking yeah. love Kaitel, yeah, yeah. and I'm saying scrap yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I get rid of the wolf. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. All right. So anyway. Sorry Closing to go off on tangents. No, we <laughs> love it. We we encourage tangents here. Thank you guys both for coming here. Definitely. Thank you. Great to talk to y'all. And uh, thank you all for listening. See you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>